lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Pound your neighbor, high-five your neighbor, hug your neighbor. How about hug your neighbor? That's always a good one. Everybody needs a hug. Everybody needs to be hugged. And you'll notice in the bulletin the outline is uh, front and back and it's not too streamlined. We're going to start today and go through the summer a series of messages out of the book of Colossians. I think you're going to learn a lot from this book. I think we can all learn a lot from this book. And uh, I've just, I haven't preached like this in some time, so I think it'll be a good time for us to do it during the summer. And uh, if you happen to miss a Sunday, uh, we post the outline and the sermon on our website. So don't hesitate to grab hold of that during the week and uh, get caught back up. Uh, Brother Mick Carnodal does that every time he's gone. He listens, he calls me or emails me and just rants and raves about how great a sermon it is. And I'm about to go broke paying him to say all those nice things, but it's, uh, it's awesome. would ask you to consider four questions. Do the heavenly bodies have any influence over our lives? The millions of people who consult horoscopes every day would probably say, well, not probably, they would say yes. Second question. In the United States, there are about 1,750 newspapers and 1,220 of them carry astrological information. Second question, is there any relationship between diet and spiritual living? Third question, does God speak to us immediately in our minds or only through His Word, the Bible? Question four, do the Eastern religions have something to offer those who are Christians? Now these are interesting questions. And they're questions that you and I could contemporarily here and that we deal with as well. And yet these are the very issues that the Apostle Paul dealt with as he wrote this particular book, Colossians, back in 60 A.D. We read earlier Colossians 1, 1 and 2. Let's go to that and uh, let's reread that. We don't have that in the uh, presentation, do we, Jeff? All right. Let's go back and take a look at that. And by the way, every week, bring your Bible, bring your marking pens, your highlighters, because I'm going to have you be doing a lot of that. Let's take a look at these verses again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He addresses, these verses tell us to whom he's writing. Today's message is an overview of the book. I'm going to give you a lot of different aspects of the book, and then starting uh, next Sunday we'll start digging into it. Because I really believe with all of my heart that this is the best way to study the Word of God. And so I hope that you will journey with us this summer as we go through this. Let me give you a little background information as we get started. The city of Colossae was 100 miles east 
of, if, of Ephesus in Asia Minor. I've had, I have a couple of maps up here. <clears throat> this will give you some idea. Turkey, modern-day Turkey in this area. You see Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Areopolis, and Laodicea. And just 100 miles southeast of Laodicea is where the community of Colossae would be found on the map. Second map, Jeff. You can see how that breaks down. So you see it right over there. Okay? Uh, it's very close to Areopolis and Laodicea. And if you look in, in chapter 4, verses 13 and 16, it talks about these two towns. The message was destined and distinction of this town is that it, uh, in Colossae, is Areopagus, uh, Areopolis was a place known for health, for pleasure, and for relaxation. Laodicea was known for commercial trade and politics, and the city of Colossae was kind of a suburb town, a small town where people would live but go into the bigger towns for the big ticket items that they wanted to be a part of. The people of Colossae. It was a pagan city. It had a strong intermingling of Jews. In 62 B.C., there were 11,000 Jewish freedmen in this tri-city area. Now, freedmen were Jews that had been dis dispersed, that had been disposed. They were also slaves who had been freed. And so there was a different uh, conglomeration of them. And it helps to understand that the nature of some of the problems that arose within this church were caused because of the intermingling of the Jews and pagans. Paul says that we should not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And there's a reason why we shouldn't do that. Because you're going to be pulled away from what the Word of God would have you to do in your life if you're connected up with somebody that's not a believer. If they don't believe like you do or don't think like you do. I'm uh, counseling a young couple right now that's facing that. <clears throat> and they've brought the subject up twice <clears throat> in the counseling process. So obviously it's a big deal to both of them. But uh, I, I'm praying that God will open the door so that, that, that we can help them. What about this church in Colossae? When was it established? Well, we're not sure. There's no real indication of actually when this church was uh, started, but Scripture does say that uh, uh, some things to us. It's likely that Paul himself did not start it. If you look at, uh, turning your Bibles there to chapter 2 and verse 1, we see this. And I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. So he's, he, this indicates that he hadn't been there. Uh, he had not heard or had not seen them in person, but he had heard of their faith. Now, jump back over to chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. So he's, com he's commending them on who they are as a church. I love you as a church. Anytime we do sign-ups, you are always ready to help. I think now we have enough bananas signed up just on one side to, to feed the zoo. But that's, that's you. That's what you do. It's possible that this church was started by a man named uh, uh, Epaphras. 
Paul writes uh, somewhat from that. If you go on from verses 4 through 8 of chapter 1, um, evidently he also had some contact with those in Areopagus and Laodicea in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Members of this particular church, Epaphras probably founded the church. He was a native of Colossae according to chapter 4 and verse 12. He's described as a servant of Christ also in that verse, fervent in prayer for others in that verse. And in the next verse, verse chapter 4, verse 13, he had great zeal for his brothers. Many compare Philemon, the book of Philemon, a little small book, to Colossians. Because you see some similarities. Also, Paul mentions in Philemon, verse 23, that uh, Paphras is a fellow prisoner with Paul. Uh, Philemon, uh, Aphia, and Archippus are mentioned. By comparing Colossians and Philemon, you, you learn and you conclude that these folks were in Colossae. Uh, Archippus and Onesimus and Epaphras. <coughs> they, they likely started this church and they met in the home. That's where churches would start. They didn't have a building. They didn't have a large building. They didn't have anything like that. They met in the home because they had to stay somewhat quiet about that. As you notice, recently in San Diego County in California, a uh, pastor had been leading a Bible study in his home and there had been 20 to 30 people coming to his home for a Bible study and the neighbors, somebody somebody bumped a car, left a dent in the side of a car. This person complained to the county. The county then was going to force the pastor to not have a Bible study in his house because he was gathering unlawfully. Now, we think, what? They're just gathering for a Bible study. There's not any, they were saying, well, there's, a, there's potential terrorist activity that could be going on in that meeting. No more than a Tupperware party or a Mary Kay party. A bunch of terrorists there. Easy now, the easy. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting times we live in. Philemon was probably the father, Aphia the mother, Archippus the son. All of these folks are mentioned in chapter 4 of Colossians. Possible that Archippus served as the preacher, first preacher at Colossae, according to verse, chapter 4, verse 17, Onesimus. He was Philemon's slave who had run away, found by Paul in Rome, and Paul converted him, and he was being sent back. Philemon was being sent back and carrying this Colossian letter back to these folks. But there was a crisis that had arisen in the church in Colossae. Epaphras had brought news to Paul concerning this church and the, and the situation. If you would, in chapter 1, let's pick it up at verse 3. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out over all the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you learned about the good news of, from Epaphras, our brother, beloved co-worker, 
He is Christ's fellow servant. He is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So he wants to get this, this situation set up, and he understands where they are. And for the most part, this was a very favorable report. It was a very good church. But if you read the following contents from the letter, in the other chapters, Paul was going to inform them of a twofold peril that he had been made aware of. The first one that he talks about is found in chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Let's, let's pick it up over there at chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. <clears throat> so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice behavior, malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. One of the perils they were going to face, and they were facing, is the danger of relapsing into paganism with its immorality and all the things that go along with that. There was the danger of accepting what some call the Colossian heresy it's that in in definition is which it denied all sufficiency that you find in christ jesus you, he's not sufficient for salvation or for overcoming the indulgences of the flesh the colossian heresy involved false philosophy look in chapter 2 and verse 8 it says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Are we hitting close to anybody that you know? I'm telling you, folks, this book is so powerful. It's going to help us. Also, false philosophy was part of the Colossian heresy. Secondly, Judaistic ceremonialism. Boy, there's a big Bible deal, isn't it? Judaistic ceremonialism. If you'll look in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we won't take time to read that. But what that meant was people were attaching specific uh, um, significance to circumcision, food regulations, and observance of special days. They were trying to mingle the things of the world with the things of the Jews. And they were saying, if you, if you want to be saved, then you're going to have to act this way. You're going to have to behave this way. You're going to have to go through these rituals and these ceremonies to make it. Folks, the only ceremony that we need to do is go to the cross and get on our knees and cry out for salvation to Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything. It's already been done for you. I'll, say, I'll wait for a hallelujah. Here's what we do every Sunday. We do this in remembrance of Him. Here's the, here's the thing that we do. We do it to never forget what He did for us. For us. Been done for us. So there's nothing we can do. It doesn't matter how many times you open your Bible every week. That's not going to save you. It doesn't matter that you are involved at the church in a teaching rotation, helping prepare communion, a greeting at the door. All those are important things. Don't get me wrong. 
It's not, it's not enough that uh, you are involved. In, I mean, you, you're an elder or a deacon or you make decisions at the church. Huh. Not enough. All that matters is that you have Jesus in your life. It's all that matters. Now, I, I participate in all these other things. Why? Because I love Jesus. And I want to just express myself to the Lord. Uh, thank you, ladies, that, and all of you folks that provided food for the family yesterday for their lunch here at the church. I can make one phone call, and then I never have to worry about it again. Why? Because that's the way you are. It's the way you are. And I'm so grateful for that. So grateful for that. Then the third part of the Colossian heresy was angel worship. Angel worship. Do anybody worship angels? Think they're the greatest thing that's come down the pike since apple pie? Chapter 2, verse 18 talks about that. There's nothing wrong with angels. I believe we've got guardian angels, don't you? I've gotten through too many things and not... <laughs> I think they're out there. But what they were doing was making angels more important than Jesus Christ. Nothing should take the place of Jesus Christ. Ever. Ever, ever. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the Son. Now, that's pretty big stuff there. Jesus is a resemblance of our Heavenly Father. And we call God. Jesus is all-sufficient and supreme. Another, a fourth aspect is asceticism. And, and that called for harsh treatment of the body to control lusts. In chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, we will find that talked about. In other words, if I'm going to be able to control this, boy, I've got to beat myself up or cut myself or, or bruise myself or you know what I'm saying. If I do that enough, then I'm okay. Somehow I, I can make it through. Somehow I can stop this. Lust that's in my life. Ah! That's why when I go to the beaches in, on the west or east coast, I always cover my right eye. Because the Bible says if your right eye offend thee, it didn't say anything about your left eye. <laughs> the good news is when God, uh, we had a wonderful trip to Puerto Vallarta for a 20th anniversary. And uh, that day was high wave day and nobody told us. But my wife got a great, uh, belly laugh out of watching me get body slammed three times by these waves. I mean, they did. They picked me up, threw me down, picked me up, threw me down three times. One of them, glasses went. Another one, key around my neck for the safe in our room went. And so the next three days, I got to walk around without any glasses on. And it's hard to see you at distances. So I told her, I said, well, honey, if I see pretty women, I guess I'll just have to go up and look real close. That didn't go over very well either, so <clears throat> I'm, I praise the Lord for glasses. <laughs> but asceticism, those are part of the heresy. The Colossian heresy is what's called syncretism. Good word, syncretism. Mixture of Jewish and pagan elements and items. I would say to you today, folks, that you and I are still seeing people, perhaps we're struggling with syncretism ourselves. Because we don't want to let the world leave us. We want to keep having parts of the world so that it can still have, we can still have our fun and dabble, but we still want the thing about Jesus too. I see a lot of this in young people. Young people want to be able to, boy, live like everybody else is living. Everybody doing it. No, not everybody's doing it. 
Guarantee you they're not doing it. <laughs> but you know, we all want to do that. We all want to do that. One of my children used to call me when they were in college and say, Dad, my moral compass is kicking in. I'd hang up the phone and just praise God every day that he at least allowed that moral compass to even talk to him. I don't know what he did with it. It's none of my business. But I was so grateful that he said my moral compass is kicking in. Woo! Woo! That means at least there's still a battle going on in there. Amen? And how many of you have that happen to you every day? Huh. I don't know about you, but boy, I live it. I live there. I live there where my moral compass is kicking in all the time. And the battle rages. It, it's not easy. It doesn't get easy. I was talking to Brianne about uh, college. She's uh, finishing her second year at college at OSU. And some of the things that she's experienced and witnessed as a young person. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What she's uh, been a part of. A uh, roommate she just finished with. This roommate. Uh, one night stand. Back in the fall. She delivered that baby the week of finals in May. One night. Just one night. Thought it. Just one night. Ah, it could never happen to me. Got you. Got you. It would never happen if you never had the one night. Amen? You're supposed to say amen to those things. Ah. Uh, then gone to meddling. Here we go. What's the purpose of this epistle? It's to warn these brethren to not relapse. Chapter 1, verse 21 to 23 against the solution being urged upon them by those who deny Jesus was all they needed in chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, to direct their attention to Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 13, He's the beloved Son. In chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, He's all-sufficient. He's the uh, supreme Savior. The theme of this book is found in chapter 1, verse 18. Turn there. Let's take a look. Chapter 1, verse 18. Circle this verse so that you know it's the theme or right out beside it in the, in the margin. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. He must be supreme. He must be allowed to be all in all that you need. Jesus must get there in your life. Then there's the outline of the book, the epistle. There's three breakdowns of it. In chapter 1, we're going to deal with doctrine. In chapter 2, danger. And then in chapters 3 and 4, the duty. In doctrine, we're going to look in the, at the gospel message, redemption, creation, the church, and then Paul's own ministry and how that should be an example to this church we're going to look at the danger points of empty philosophies of Judaistic ceremonialism. You see, some people believe even today, if you go through certain rituals and ceremonies, you're saved. Ask a person not too long ago, what does it take to get to heaven? Well, do good things. I said, really? I said, if I gave you a verse of Scripture to read, would you read it? Sure. It's open to John chapter 14 and verse 6. Anybody know that one by memory? Jesus said, yeah, you know it, I am the way and the truth and the and no man comes to the father except through me 
Woo! As the girl read that, she began to weep. Just that verse. I said, why are you crying? She said, I've never heard this. She's 20-something years old, and she's never heard that. Oh. You just heard it, so you can't say that. We're going to talk about it. See, ceremonies aren't going to get you there. You can, you can jump pews. You can dance. You can throw your hands up. You can speak in tongues. You can do whatever you think is something spiritual and religious. But trust me, none of it means anything if it's not connected to the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. It's just show. It's just show. And then the third thing we'll talk about in chapters 3 and 4 are duty. Our personal purity is, is paramount. Our brotherly relations, critical. We're going to talk about our, our duties in the home and then our duties in daily work. Our duties in sharing the gospel and our duties in serving one another. Now the value of this letter is that it increases our understanding and our appreciation of who Jesus Christ is. It's very important that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with any other person, it has to be measured against that relationship with Jesus Christ. He is all-sufficient. He is all-supreme. Nothing else. You can have all the money you want. We're seeing right now. You can have all the money you want. It's a fleeting thing, is it not? You can have all the power you want. And in one decision by one man, you could not have your job. One decision by one man, you don't have that job anymore. Of course, it was a rough decision. And it was a tough on that person to be told they couldn't work in that position anymore. I mean, they got $20 million just to walk away. I understand that's rough. And I know that that little, that little 23-year-old farmer up in South Dakota, after taxes, he gets 80, what, $88 million? I know he's going to struggle. I appreciated his response. Thank the good Lord for giving me this opportunity. He said he's going to take care of the town. He could buy the town. What, a, what an awesome story. And I, I do hope and pray that that money doesn't mess him up. And if he doesn't have a girlfriend, but he's got several now. <laughs> and they're sincere, too. It's a real love. Ching, ching. <laughs> and we are also going to learn what John 14, 6 means. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And once we understand that Jesus is indeed supreme and all-sufficient as the Savior in our lives, we will live victorious lives. We will, and we will be assured that we're not going to relapse or be carried away by false religion or philosophies of men. 
And I'm telling you, we've got juniors now going to be seniors next year. We're going to send them off to college. They have to be ready to go to college. We've got to get the Word of God poured into their hearts strong because when they get to college, they're going to hear everything in the world and never, oh, and most of it isn't about Jesus. It's our job as the church to help them understand. So this, this, this will help. Future lessons will expand on these things. Future messages. But right now, is the accepted time to obey the Lord. I would probably be safe in saying that a large, large percentage in this room are already Christians. You've accepted Christ as your Savior, been to the waters of baptism, risen to walk in a new life. But there's a tendency to stray. And we're going to see that in this book. There's a tendency to listen to other teachings and listen to other philosophies. And they'll always say, well, that's your interpretation. While on one hand, that might be true. On the other hand, how often are you in the book enough to even have an interpretation? Father, I ask you this morning, as we prepare to share an invitation time, God, I pray that you would begin to prepare our hearts for these next number of weeks and the message that you have for each of us to hear. When we open your word and we begin to study verse by verse, precept by precept, when we begin to study that way, there are so many lessons that can be learned. God, while you're going to beat me up, I already know. I've already started. You're already beating me up about who you are and why you are. And God, I know that's going to happen in some of the folks that are going to go through this journey with us this summer. But my greatest prayer for them is that they will be honest as I'm being honest with you. They will face themselves as I've been looking at myself. And God, we will then come to your cross and find there the forgiveness that only you can give. Oh, Father, would you prepare our hearts, even today, to respond. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a great song. Thank you.